The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. John E. Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan debt. I'm so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money, managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you create better financial habits, envision your long-term goals, and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of John E. Sistina and Company are on deck to show you the way. Thank you for joining the Managing to Be Wealthy podcast, where we bring the topics to help you do things better. I'm your host, Tracy Bennett, and joining me today are certified financial planners, Cole Hammock and Craig Constantinovich. Hey, guys, it's great to be with you today. I'm ex- so excited about the show. I know that <laughs> I am. This is one of those, this is one of those topics that I, I sit and I ponder so many questions because I think it's a lot of fun. You mean you don't sit there and talk with your husband about these topics? That's a mistake 101. Let's go. <laughs> a good one. Craig's on it today. Way, Paul, you missed lunch. I tried to buy you a jelly-filled donut, but they were out. The donut store was actually out of jelly-filled donuts. Sorry. What, 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 what part donut store? If you weren't such a rock star in your meeting, you wouldn't have missed it, but maybe there's you, you, tomorrow. You know I would have eaten that. Yeah, I know. I felt bad for you. Okay. Well, well, good thing that we have other financial planning topics to talk That's about right. to curb your hunger. Yep. Yeah. I'm ready to roll on this today. So okay. as, as a person who likes to understand things, as you both well know, um, this is a good one. There's a lot of psychology behind this, and that's intriguing to me. So today's topic is financial love languages, understanding and managing money as a couple. It's a fun It's relevant. It's a fun one. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with the new year, new me kind of uh, uh-huh. push that's going on right now. And Valentine's Day coming. Oh, that's clever. Wait, when's that coming? Well, soon. Okay. All right. <laughs> almost, almost 30 days from today, right? That's crazy. Got to yeah. start shopping now. No shopping. Uh-huh. No shopping. No shopping. No chocolate. Usually agreed upon thing. No, Craig doesn't support Hulk. No chocolate. <laughs> Wait a minute. No chocolate hearts. Not, nothing. No. I eat chocolate every day. No, we we have an agreement. So you want to talk about couples agreeing to money things. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have an agreement that instead of going out and buying things for each other, that we want to do experiences. Um, So we've got the long weekend with President's Day. And then my wife has off because of her school schedule. Um, So we're going away right now. We're planning on going down to Pigeon Forge for four days. Fun fun, fun place. Right. I love that. Yeah. So it is a fun place. That's that's what we decided. We decided, hey, you know, if you want a new shirt, you want, you know, something off of Amazon. By yourself. Exactly. Figure it out. You know what you want far more than I do. That's smart. So let's just go with, you know, smaller little kind of getaways or experiences. I like it. You get caught up in the uh, diamond ads that are going on. At that time of the year, not, not even, you feel pressured. Not, not even a little bit. It's the same idea, but like I, I will never buy Alyssa jewelry just to buy it because I, I feel like that's the most dangerous thing you can do as a man. Maybe I'm wrong or just have bad taste. I don't know, but I, I know for a fact it will be wrong. Setting a so, bad standard. I. Uh, 
<laughs> barometer for expectation. Which one? No, I just, I don't know what I'm doing. So she'll say, that looks good. And I'll say, okay, we'll get it. <laughs> so that's, that's my approach. Smart approach. Smart well, approach. That's, this is good stuff. So whether you're Learn buying gifts or getting ready to balance checkbooks, um, you know, people, whether oh, people whoa. are starting out. Balance checkbooks. Yeah. Well, you know, checkbooks are part of finances. Well, in, 20, 20, in, some, in, in some people's <laughs> lives. Okay, we'll go there. We're a, vir- we're, we're a virtual office, so I guess we're above talking about checkbooks, but that's okay. <laughs> some of us still use them. Uh, I was talking recently to somebody uh, that was telling me that they had separated their finances completely. And I think they've been together, I mean, close to 40 years at this point. Mm. And they have always separated, had separate checking accounts, separate credit cards. Everything is down the middle. When they buy something, they each contribute. I mean, it mm-hmm. is literally divided down the middle. And that is just so interesting to me because, of course, you know, that's many people combine their finances. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what the show's about. Um, and I think if we can just start off, this is a psychological conversation in tandem with the money but if we can talk about the the foundation of it first as people i guess it it does it pretty much start with the way you grew up around money would you say yeah i i think a lot of your your financial imprint really does you just laugh at my you just laugh at me I, did I, you just call me blonde i did not i did not <laughs> utter a single oh, word that was a dumb cr- question cr- he, he said yes you might have interpreted it as a laugh <laughs> but he said yes yeah. uh, <laughs> fine i'll try not to eye roll but, uh, it's, it, absolutely yes i'm sure a lot of people's like financial imprint really happens within their first 10 years of life or so just how they're going to be who they're going to be for the rest of their lives See, and I would take a contrarian approach. Um, you think so? I would, okay. as a matter of fact, yeah. Um, I think it's more so just kind of the the overall mentality of it, um, because like my wife and I, for example, we still have our finances separate. She has her credit cards. I have my credit cards. She has her checking account. I have my checking account. Um, we do have joint accounts, uh, and we do have proper beneficiary designations on the other accounts. But <laughs> we make sure that Good. you know if she does want to get me something or surprise me with a trip or something like that. You know, her mindset is if you see it on the card or if you see it in the account as a transaction, you're going to know what's coming. So I would rather keep that separate. And also, I don't want you knowing, you know, how much I'm spending on getting my hair done or going out and shopping or whatever the case may be. Yeah, you don't want to know that. No, it's neither here nor there. Right? Your relationship is stronger. As a result. No, no, no. That's probably a good idea. But I mean, again, we, you can find different ways to make it work. But I mean, my parents had joint accounts. Her mm-hmm. parents had joint accounts. So it wasn't necessarily how she was raised at that point. It was more so just kind of the idea it around money, you know. what we uh, have agreed to. And then there's other things where it's. You know, she has health insurance options that are superior to what I have. So we use her health insurance, which means, we'll get into that, you know, other options that I have. So it's those kind of things that we can balance out. So what's the starting point? Okay, let's say you're you're I mean, do you you go back as far as when you're seriously dating somebody that you think the wedding bells might be on the forefront or that you think you'll be even if you're not marrying this person, you're going to move in together and start a life together? Or do you kind of what's the sweet spot of of kind of letting somebody know, hey, I want to, I want to split everything down the middle. The first date. I was say, yeah, that, that's that's when you say to split everything you, down the middle, it's probably a first date. But it's my money. Well, when it comes to general financial conversations, obviously second date. <laughs> no, I mean, in all seriousness, you know, it's finances and, and ultimately what you view maybe happening within your relationship. There's 
no, hey, it has to be the fifth date after a year of being together. When you move in, there's not really a milestone, but you do need to have finances be a part of the conversation. It doesn't necessarily need to be, hey, I'm going to plan on paying for our mortgage while you pay for the groceries kind of a thing. It should more so be uh, relatively organic. So it may be, you know, hey, we've been seeing each other for a while. This seems to be, you know, going well. How do you kind of treat your money right now? Do you have debts that are out there? Are you paying those debts timely? You know, you're not going to be sitting there as a forensic accountant and going through their entire you know balance sheet as far as where are you at. But you do want to try to get an idea of it because I know we all know the statistics. A majority of divorces or, or a majority of breakups are financially tied. So if you kind of remove the enigma that is finances, now all of a sudden you can have a much more direct and open conversation. Yeah. So it really just starts by setting those expectations early. Mm-hmm. Be open, be honest, have the conversations. Because honestly, to, exactly to your point, as much as possible, it's very beneficial to be with someone who's at least similarly like-minded mm-hmm. when it comes to finances. So communication is key. Always. With all things. So question, your, are, you, are you, you guys pretty much are aligned. I know we... I, I'm with somebody who is very flexible and it, it worked for us. You know what I mean? It's, but he and I did what our parents did. Mm-hmm. We're doing it the same way. So it seems like a, might be a common vein. You know, like I said before, you mm-hmm. do what you see as normal. But let's say somebody is independently living for a few years mm-hmm. and meets somebody who is used to splitting things down the center, but they are not. Have you had uh, situations with clients where you've had to deal with that and sort of mediate that um, at the very beginning of the relationship? What's that like? Yeah. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? <laughs> I, I can lead. Uh, no, we, we obviously see all sorts. So I think that the big thing, again, setting those expectations, but you need to lay everything out on the table. So as uh, you're integrating financial plans, essentially, who has what, where is it? What are they bringing to the table, essentially? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? Uh, so what does that integration aspect actually mean to the plan? And then just having the open, honest conversation with both parties. Say, okay, well, where are we comfortable? Uh, which can be a very difficult conversation uh, mm-hmm. with some people because they're probably conversations that they've not had yet. So everything's kind of flowing organically just during this meeting for the first time. So there might be some awkward silences when you're doing it by yourselves, but essentially you need to come down with what's right for the unit if you're going to be a unit versus the every man for himself approach. So uh, there's going to be some give and take with, with all things. Uh, but if the finance, you definitely need to find out what, what works for you both. So all you marriage counselors out there, there's some competition coming after you. <laughs> no, we're something like, like that. Do our best. Yeah, absolutely. Do our best. So is it possible for people who have radically different financial backgrounds, you know, are they really able to cohesively align their financial goals is, or is that a super big challenge? I think it depends on like how different, because I, I work with plenty of clients where one is primarily a, a saver, right? Their mentality is I, I want to pinch every penny I can and they're married to someone who is a Bender. Mm-hmm. As soon as it comes in the pocket, it's going right out the door kind of thing. Uh, so usually it's in those instances where it's it's the saver. They need to learn whether or not that's something that they're okay being comfortable with or maybe set limits to what's they're comfortable going out the door. 
or Craig, even to your approach, having those separate accounts mm -hmm. so they don't have to worry about what that discretionary piece is. Mm -hmm. So you have to define what that discretionary is. Um, and you can make anything work. You can absolutely make anything work. You just yeah. have to be honest. I mean, and that's that's the hardest part. And, you know, we've worked with people who, you know, have been living independently for, you know, 10 years, 15 years, mm -hmm. 30 years. And then all of a sudden they find their special someone and they do start having those conversations. And because our engagement, our, our relationship is with the person that we know familiar, familiarly, um, we talk with them first about, OK, have you had those conversations? Do you know how they view finances? Um, because, again, if if they haven't had that conversation privately, it can become in a very um, emotionally driven conversation when we're sure. added to the mix, because sure. now we're asking, hey, we're going from me's to a we. What does that look like? Do you have the same goals? Do you have the same aspirations of what retirement may look like? Do you maybe bring something to the table that wasn't there before? You know, especially in today's age when we have so many modern families, whether it be from a previous divorce, from, God forbid, someone passing, you may have different familial obligations that you're adding to the mix. Um, so it's, you know, we a lot of times facilitate some of those conversations. And sometimes, yeah, we are drawn into, you know, the crosshair, so to speak, of, you know, hey, I haven't thought about this before and I really don't want to talk about it right now. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. But the idea has to at least be out there. The thought has to be provoked because we can't just bury our head in the sand and expect to get where we want to go. So sometimes it is a very difficult conversation, um, but that's where we come in and that's how we help is sometimes we facilitate those conversations by saying, well, where is kind of that common ground or where can we acquiesce maybe on this, but then stand firm on this side of things. So the moral of the story is love is not enough. You have to talk about money, too, if you're serious about somebody. Uh, yeah. Let's let's kind of get into the the meat of of some of this. You know, you've now you've you've maybe gotten married and you've uh, consolidated your finances. You've figured out how you want to attend to the bills. Uh, let's talk about tax implications of being going from a single to a couple. Um, are there joint tax benefits, and we're not CPAs, but uh, we do tax planning, and, and the certified financial planners are, though they're generalists, they work with the specialists very closely to make sure, uh, using their certification and edu education, that you're doing the right things uh, to, to optimize your taxes. So having said that, um, what's the first thing you think of when I say going from a single to a double and taxes? Uh, uh, I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. Sometimes getting married is the best tax planning tool you can have. I We've mean, seen it. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, the way that the tax tables are set up right now, you go from an individual and you have, again, depending on your level of income, you're going to be taxed at whatever rate it may be. Now, as soon as you get married, you have the option of married filing joint or married filing separate. If you opt for married filing separate, it's going to limit some of the deductions, some of the ways that you can utilize your taxes to your benefit. But there may be other reasons like income driven tax or uh, income driven student Payment loan plans. repayments. Yep. Um, and then there may be other opportunities that may be out there with that. Whereas if you're married filing joint, now you may get double your standard deduction. You may be able to have not exactly, but roughly twice the level of income and still be taxed at the same rates. So there's a lot of give and take that comes with it, but it ultimately comes down to what's most prudent given the situation that you're in. 
Yeah, the the doubles absolutely key. Do you think uh, some families where maybe one spouse plans on working and the other spouse will stay home take care of the kids? Mm-hmm. If, if they're single and the spouse that's working, they're going to be paying a lot more in mm-hmm. taxes mm-hmm. versus getting married. You improve that tax picture considerably, and that that just but we're paying less in taxes. We feel a little bit better about the whole situation anyway. Um, but I think that definitely that the double aspect was the first thing that came to my mind. So getting organized is, is a big part of our business. We talk a lot about data, data gathering and living expense uh, conversations, how important it is to know what you've got coming in and going out. <clears throat> my suspect is if you have somebody who's going from a single to a double, you want to make sure that that is really, really ring that home to you know save your um, your receipts, you know, go through your statements together, start off on the right track, right? Yeah. I mean, the more that, good habits. Yeah. The more that you can be aware of what you're spending. I mean, it, a lot of times we talk about being a financial fitness coach, if you will. Um, so same thing, like a lot of people right now. Hey, if I have a goal of losing weight this year, that's my New Year's resolution. Great. Well, you got to step on the scale to know where you start. How else are you going to know? Am I losing weight? Am I gaining weight? What What's happening here? Same thing when it comes to finances. If you're not stepping on the scale, if you're not reviewing your expenses, you don't even know where you're starting, so you don't necessarily know how to start planning for what you may want out of things. So absolutely, it starts there. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of those instances, too, where the the whole is less than the sum of its parts in the sense that, generally speaking, when you combine two households, the general household expense or the overall household expense is less than if you just look at two people. It costs less as you're doing things joint. Uh, so definitely worth revisiting at that point because mm-hmm. we may see that household expense number looks a lot better than trying to float two households. Mm-hmm. So if you like shoes, um, you might you have to have, be fully disclosed, right? No shoe boxes with the tags on in the closet. Well, I mean, you know, you can keep the shoes like the in the closet with the the tag on it, but yeah, you got to at least have the receipt to review <laughs> with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on. Let's talk about investments and. Mm-hmm. and uh, sure. I don't want to get into a deep dive on this one, but no numbers, uh, right? Nope, no numbers. If you would, please want to be compliant. (laughs) So let's talk about risk tolerance to those uh, out there who are just kind of getting their feet wet with financial planning and they're not real savvy yet about um, how to start. Let's Mm -hmm. kind of talk about as as a couple uh, what risk tolerance means to someone who's joining forces with somebody else. Yeah, sure. Uh, So uh, essentially, risk tolerance as far as investments goes, it's simply what's our comfort level with mm-hmm. regards to the risk or the movement, the, the moving and the shaking essentially of the market. Some people, they're okay with that. Uh, I, I'm one of those people, Craig, I suspect you're one of those people. If the market goes down 20% tomorrow, so be it. Kind of thing. I'm sorry, 20% is enough. I'm not one of <laughs> There's the other side of the table. I see you, I see you blaring at oh, me. Yeah. There's, there's the other side of the table where uh, if the market goes down 20%, they feel a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So that being said, you have to figure out where you mesh in the middle of those. It's tough. It, it is tough. That's tough is because tough. if you've got a worrier, which I will raise my hand high, it's okay uh, to be I a live with a husband who is not a worrier. He is a a warrior. Go with <laughs> I love Jack. All right. Listening. All right. He'll appreciate that. <laughs> but I am the worrier of the two of us. So uh, to the to the point of, you know, fault yeah. driving everybody crazy. So I'm not a person who is a super big, you know, I'm the one watching him while he's bungee jumping. I'm not, you know, I like my feet. Well, that's firmly a different planted. kind of risk tolerance my, entirely. So. Yeah, that's different, isn't it? And man, that's a tough conversation. If you're talking about investments, 
Now, so having said that, you can have separate investments with your own risk tolerance, which is, you know, probably a good idea if you're on opposite pages. You can, you can, yeah. but that that then ultimately makes planning difficult because yeah. now you've got different conversations that got that are going to be spawned just from the natural happenings within the market. So like last year, for instance, you know, last year, let's say someone was very aggressive with their investments, had a lot of exposure to U.S. Um, growth companies, and they had a return number that was double what their spouses would be. Well, and their spouse is going to sit there and say, well, yeah, I may be the worrier, but I also want to make sure I'm maximizing my dollar. Right. Yeah. Did I do something wrong by right. doing this? Right. So it's one of those things where, you know, yes, you have to further educate people. You have to further talk about it. The best solution is to come to an agreement as far as maybe we're not as risky as the riskiest person in the partnership may be. Maybe we're not as conservative as the most conservative person in the partnership is. But we have to find that kind of common ground because we want everything to be invested in the same way. And if it's not, we're going to be investing with the rear view mirror, which is the absolute last thing that you want to have happen. Compromise is key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cole's got a big old smile on his face over there. I don't I, know. He looks like he's up to something. Always. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Estate planning is a big part of our business. Um, and that's sure. a super critical component of a strong financial plan. You've You've got a big bag of money saved. I don't care how how much you have saved. If you don't have all these pieces put together nice and firm, you're going to tap into that to sustain your lifestyle. Uh, so going into the estate planning for couples, um, going from one to two, what's the first step? I would assume, you know, meeting with an attorney, right? Yeah. Having that conversation of, hey, we're not going to live forever. We got to get this taken care of. Because if you don't, Someone else does have a decision for you, and that's the great state that you live in at that point. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of ten, unless you're very affluent, know a lot of good people, more times than not, the state's not going to carry out your wishes the way that you would intend them to. So very first thing, I'm not saying, hey, wedding bells ring, and next day we're sitting down in the attorney's office, but pretty soon thereafter, absolutely, you want to get something in place because it can't always be adjusted. It can't always be amended, given where life takes you, but you got to have something to start. Yeah. And it's it's obviously important at any point, especially when you're merging households, but uh, even more so for people with kids. Mm -hmm. uh, you bring up the, the court essentially deciding, the state deciding the who does what, who gets what at that point. But it becomes so much more important when there are children at stake where they go. Because if you think next of kin is generally how those go, can we trust our parents with our kids or can we trust our siblings with our kids? And not everybody's going to say yes to that. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, with the modern families and the, that dynamic that we have sure. now, too, is it, you know, hey, do we want so-and-so to be left to former spouse? Do we trust them with that? Do we want someone to manage the estate that is not a former spouse because maybe they may spend through the money inappropriately? Maybe they won't respect our wishes. Again, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, you have to sit back down. You have to revisit your wishes because, again, if you're not going to, Someone else is going to make that decision for you, and that's the last thing that you want. And speaking of former spouses, you know, they're you know the 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 family looks very different for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So you right. you might be working on your second marriage at this point, and uh, beneficiary assignment. You know, we've heard some real they're horror stories. Yeah. I actually have experienced um, a frustrating beneficiary misalignment, dare I say, that uh, through an through an otherwise perfect estate into probate mm -hmm. because it was buried in an annuity within a pension. Uh, so really tending to those details, I think 
We've got examples of former spouses being on beneficiary to life insurance policies sure un, unknown to the individuals. Unknown or unreviewed. Now, again, there there may be certain instances where it must be, you know, that way, whether it be based off of the divorce decree or anything like that. Right. But I think what you're alluding to, Tracy, is, you know, hey, we go through a, a very challenging time. We have separated um, and the divorce has been finalized. Yeah, a lot of times we still see that old estate planning documents haven't been updated. Beneficiaries haven't been reviewed. So now you're putting yourself into this scenario where you're no longer affiliated with this person, but you still have everything being left to them, or they are the ones that are going to be making decisions if something happens to you. And again, depending on how that separation went about, depending on where both of you are mentally after that, um, there could be a lot of mishaps that come along, or there could be a lot of uh, ill will that may be inappropriately taken out at that point. You know, something I didn't know until I started working for John E. Sustina Company was that when you have a checking or a savings account, if you don't have someone uh, added as a payable on POD, pay, yeah. payable on death or transfer on death, I think it's payable, isn't it? For or, bank account. POD. So if you don't go into, the, you, they don't bring it up to you. They don't they ask don't. you. The banks don't, yeah. they, they don't enlist that still don't conversation. Mm-hmm. So if you don't go in and even, I mean, I've got, I've got younger children and I've had them attend to that because if something were to happen to them, where does that account go? Who does it go to? Good work, Tracy. Yeah. It's good financial well, plan. Well, thanks to you guys <laughs> you're, and your, and your uh, prowess. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm a little smarter now. So as generalists, uh, we enlist the help of specialists, as I mentioned before. So we aren't insurance agents, just like we're not CPAs or attorneys. But we do provide insurance planning advice to our clients every day. Mm-hmm. And um, I tend to fall down a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no. And get bitten by brown recluse spiders. I was going to say too many times I've seen Tracy come into the office. What why what's that limp from? What's what's that, you know, kink in your neck right now? <laughs> Don't go there. Uh I basically require a helmet when I go out these days, but <laughs> Jay seems to float through life effortlessly. So one person might have health issues, you know, or pre-existing health issues, the other partner might not have any health issues at all, you know. How do you approach uh, insurance from that perspective, if there are needs on one side, but not on the other, when you're in a joint policy is, and again, you know, don't want to get too, too deep into the weeds on this, but kind of want to give people some tips on insurance. I mean, if, you, if you're on a joint policy, like you need to be on a joint policy specifically, uh, then you cater to the needs of the one that has the health issues because mm-hmm. that that's what's going to cost you the most money. You could go for a lower cost plan that has a, a higher out of pocket if you wanted to cater to the party with less issues, but then you're going to be paying a lot more at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of those health plans as you're going through, they'll show kind of examples like if this person has a pregnancy or if this person experiences an accident, they'll give you a pretty good idea of what to expect as far as those medical expenses. So I think that's a good place to kind of start. Like how mm-hmm. does that uh, translate to what we may experience. But I would absolutely cater to the individual that's maybe a little bit more accident prone like tracing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to be walking around in orthopedic shoes right now. It's just not going to happen. So <laughs> as you walk around in heels yeah, today, if the I'll stilettos get... give way, let that be. It, tracing. <laughs> and it's worth so, it. Let's talk about balancing the cost of joint insurance, because obviously some of that is pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and make it affordable, you know, especially as people are considering long term considering long term financial goals. Um, <clears throat> if you're headed towards retirement, you know, I'm I'm getting there. Um, so things like 
disability insurance, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, do you approach that from a joint perspective or individual? I would, I, I would wonder. Well, for things like disability insurance and life insurance, it's more so based around, well, we'll focus on life insurance first. Life insurance is focused around what joint goals you have. So mm-hmm. God forbid one of you predeceases the other. How do we want to leave the surviving spouse and their surviving family in that case? Do we want to make sure that they have enough to you know, live until age 90? Do we maybe want to make sure they have enough time to properly grieve? So maybe we need five years of them not being in the workforce, something like that. Do we want to fully fund college for the kids that may be left behind? You, you want to customize and tailor it because anyone can give you that answer of, oh, yeah, you have one kid, you need half a million dollars. You have two kids, you need a million dollars worth of coverage. There's not a lot of thought. There's not a lot of personalization. There's not a lot of customization that's put to that. Um, so that would definitely need to be tinkered with and adjusted. Um, disability insurance is entirely different. That's going to be one where, you know, hey, we are on an individual plan. Uh, we do have coverage through work. If we are going to be accident prone, absolutely we need it. But <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but especially with knowing that income, and that's what disability insurance is, is it's your ability to protect your um, skill set to produce income. If we don't have that, we could be putting everyone in the family further behind. Uh, so we definitely want to make sure that we have that disability insurance or at least are informed as to why we maybe don't have the Cadillac of policies or a personal policy to supplement what we have with work. Um, but definitely disability insurance, since it is going to impact both of you, it may be an individual decision as far as do I need more, but it's not necessarily an individual individual decision of should I have it. If we feel like we're going to be producing income, absolutely we need to have access to it. I think it needs to be viewed, too, as what is your financial impact to the household? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if maybe one spouse is making half a million dollars and the other spouse is making 30000 50000 whatever, the idea being if that 50000 just stopped, mm-hmm. what does that mean, right? Mm-hmm. Does the, the household halt? Are we not going to be able to pay some of our bills? Would, would we not be able to do some of the fun things we do with the kids, whatever? I was going to say, do we need help with anything yeah. else in addition? Because maybe right. that $50,000 a year job was a lifestyle decision mm-hmm. to help out with the family. If now all of a sudden we lose that income and we lose maybe that person's ability to offer support, maybe we are going to need to go out and hire help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you need to view it holistically as well. So there's definitely the, the individualistic piece on that one more so than life insurance, but viewing that, how that relates to the household, if that stops or we might see additional expenses, that, that could help change that decision for one party or another. So long-term goals that align with both individuals' comfort levels, I hear mm-hmm. from, from that. And you don't just think about retirement, but if you're just starting out, uh, consider your education needs, major life events, mm-hmm. um, you know, children, um, charities, you know, Helping all of, out with parents, right? Yeah. Parents yep. moving in. There's just there's so much to be to 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 add to that. We do different programs each week. We have done programs on all of these subjects. So uh, feel free to reach out to the uh, library on our website, managing to be wealthy dot com to um, listen to those podcasts. Um, I often say our advisors are educated and designated with kind of the royal crown jewel of certifications as generalists. Uh, they know a lot and work in tandem with the specialists to help our clients every day. But like I said before, they're also coaches, mentors. Don't get big heads here on me. Uh, even like, relationship counselors. 
you know, mediators and friends, you know, we watch the birth of babies and walk people through fire, you know, when needed. So the takeaway here is simple, you know, different strokes for different folks. Uh, Just keep the communication lines open and reach out for help and you'll craft your unique game plan, you know, as a as a couple. Mm -hmm. If you would like some help sorting through your financial plan and would like to have some questions answered, we would love to meet with you. Please call us to schedule a complimentary consultation. You'll be able to sit down with one of these guys or one of our other CFPs and lay it all out and ask the questions and get some strategies and tips to do things better. We hope you'll keep tuning in and we appreciate you following us. We are managing to be wealthy. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Managing to be Wealthy podcast. We help you make the most of your money without any hidden fees or commissions. Remember, the best investment you can make is in yourself and your financial future. Keep listening for more expert advice and tips. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. To schedule a one-hour complimentary consultation to discuss your financial concerns, visit our website, managingtobewealthy.com.